really excited this morning uh, because we get to start something, uh, something new, another fresh kind of just to look at the word and just kind of um, kind of hone our, our focus on something different uh, uh, this morning. And, and I want to start us off with just a little bit of a, of a story. I'll try to make it very quick. But when I was 18, I worked at a bowling alley. I've done so many things. Those of you that know me are just like, what haven't you done? I don't know. I've just done so many things. You know, I've, I've been a chimney sweep. I started a chimney company at one point. I've done all kinds of stuff. I've been in the midst of, uh, I've witnessed church scandals and, and, and uh, I mean, you just, you name it. I've just been, I have a crazy history. And <clears throat> I was a mechanic at a bowling alley when I was in my senior year of high school. And I've been a believer for about a year, year and a half, something like that. And anyway, so I was working at this bowling alley in Sisters. And, and uh, uh, to give you a little uh, a back story, um, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s where hotboxing your kids in the car from your cigarette smoke was fully acceptable. Anybody else grow up like that? Yep, right? Seriously? Like, it was offensive. I would get in trouble for asking them to crack the window, right? Yes, it was so not fair. And so I would, I would try to, um, I had such a dislike for it because I grew up with it. And um, it was just me, but uh, I would try and be strategic when we would go somewhere. I would try to get to the car first or the truck first. And cr- yes, yes, I would crack the window. Of course, that's before there were electric windows, really. So you'd crack the window just ever so gently to where dad or mom would not notice. But I am not kidding you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. If there was this much of a crack, almost negligible, I would, I would take, I would do all I can to look like I was napping, but really I was doing this. I mean, it was that bad. I grew up, even in the midst of it, and I don't mean to speak disparagingly if, if there are smokers in the room. I'm not, I'm not speaking badly against you. I'm just trying to tell a story. But I hated growing up like that. I hated it. So much of my family loved it. Matter of fact, they all went on to be chain smokers, you know, continuing. I got the opposite bug. I hated it. And so I grew up with this, this disdain for it. And, and still to this day, I mean, I could, I could smell it 200 yards up from a car, you know, 17 cars up. I mean, I'm just such, I have such a heightened sense of awareness of it. And, um, so, so let's, so let's fast forward from the seventies and eighties. We're back at this bowling alley, and if you've spent much time at some old bowling alleys, you know that that was basically just a big uh, uh, amusement park of hotboxing. Um, and so they were just full of smoke. And so, But I got the, the, the privilege of hanging out in the very back, and so I'd open all the windows, the doors. It would be so cold, but I didn't care because the air was clean. Just leave me alone back here. I'm fine. And so, you know, when the when the machines would would foul up and jam, or there, you know, there, I'd be running back and forth on this catwalk and fixing things as people were bowling leagues and stuff. It was it's kind of fun. It's kind of crazy. But the people that were my overseers was the manager and uh, the head mechanic, and they were mentoring me in this in this role. But the people who owned the um, the bowling hour were Christian friends, kind of mentors of mine in the little assembly God church that I got um, that I met the Lord in. And so they gave me this job, and it was great. It was a great opportunity. And they were, they were pretty heavy smokers themselves, uh, constantly have, have something burning. And, uh, and so when, when we negotiated my job there, I just said, you know, I, I really appreciate this opportunity, but there's one thing I really, really, really don't want to do. Don't ask me to touch an ashtray. Just, 
if, and if that's going to be a deal breaker, then that's going to be a deal breaker. I'm, I'm sorry. I appreciate the opportunity. And they said, no, 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 that's okay. We can, we can, we can work around that. Cause I had cleaning duties after, after, you know, closing. And, and, uh, so I just have, you know, so there are these, these bowls of ash heaps, you know, from, from the nights. And, but the, so I negotiated that. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna touch him. And that was, that was really clear. But the manager and, uh, the head mechanic, they were, they were not believers. And they were as old school, professional, in it to win it, bowling fanatics as you could pot. Any movie that pokes fun at, at bowling pros and things like that and the, the hideous comb overs and the, the, the polyester get ups, that was these two guys. I am not exaggerating. And, and they were nice enough guys, but the manager did not, I don't think he really liked my relationship I had with the owners. And so he was always kind of picking at me, finding things wrong with what I was doing. And there was, I'll never forget the day that he came to me and it was, we were kind of opening up for the morning. And so it was really pretty quiet in there. And, <laughs> and I'll never even forget his mannerisms. And I remember he says, Paul, need to talk. I think what we have here in our midst is a lack of communication. And I said, okay, uh, what, 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 what's it? Well, now it's been, you've been here like a month and there's something that happens time and time and time again and you never clean the ashtrays. I have to. <laughs> and so we have a pretty big uh, breakdown of communication here. And then he put his fingers on his big pot belly and did this and then looked at me. And I said, the breakdown of communication, I, I actually, I don't, I don't think there's any uh, breakdown of communication. I don't think there's any lack of communication. It, to me, it's, it's crystal clear. When I came on to this, to this job and this role, uh, I agreed that I would never, 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 ever under any circumstances touch a dirty ashtray. And I am proud to say that I have kept up my end of the bargain. <laughs> And smiled and smirked like every 18-year-old know-it-all. Uh, you could see the, the face. You could see the expression. And then his face got really, really, really red. He stopped tapping his belly. And then he stormed off. Uh, and I thought, I, <laughs> I won. Zing, 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 zing. Um, and, yeah, I guess I did. Because um, that was an agreement we had. But, but there was something... I'm not gonna lie, there was something dirty feeling about that interaction. I did not know what it was. Now I know what it, I know what it is now. Uh, it, it didn't take me long, it didn't take me long retelling that story to a mentor at the time, uh, another pastor, uh, youth pastor who was mentoring me and discipling me where he <laughs> revealed why that interaction felt dirty, it felt not okay, even though there was this fleshly part of me that was just like, <laughs> I was doing my own tapping of my spiritual belly. And I just thought I was so right. I thought I was so righteous and right. And there was something just weird about that. Um, really what I needed to employ was a, a whole heap of humility in that moment. And I, I didn't. There was no humility in that interaction whatsoever. There really, there really wasn't. And... 
uh, I felt like I had, had known every angle about that situation. I had all my, my T's crossed and my I's dotted in it. But there was still something so undone and so incomplete about that interaction. And, and as a young man, that was actually really big for me. Um, and, and the thing that I learned when I pulled back from that is that I had a whole heck of a lot more to learn than what I thought I had to learn in that moment. I thought I was teaching him something. When he was this non-believer who was just in this weird, he was in this weird bubble all of a sudden he'd never been before in his life where he's, he's in the midst of other believers. Matter of fact, that he's working. He's got for the first time, he has employers who are believers. And even, even me, I'm a co-worker and I'm a believer. <laughs> And I'm so right. Mm. That was one of the, that was one of those interactions. I wish I could kind of have a have a little bit of a redo. Um, but I had a lot more I had a lot more to grow in my faith than I really thought I did. And I'm I'm so excited about this um, about this series because it's called Rubber Band. It's all about uh, spiritual growth. For the next four weeks, we're going to dive into the scriptures and try and really wrap our heads and our hearts around what does it mean to spiritually grow. It's a really loaded statement, and probably if we polled everybody, everybody would have a little bit different of a definition. Um, because, and it's not because we're so divided. It's just because it's a big, massive uh, concept and idea. And I'm going to try and, and rifle through some of this to kind of get us oriented today. But I have something uh, kind of fun I want to do, and I'm just these. Uh, I don't know if you've played with one of these rubber band balls ever before. They're, they are a lot of fun. If you have an office somewhere, or just you know, you really need to get one. There's a couple, few bucks on on Amazon, and then we ship it right to your door, and you can have one of your own. But I want to share, and so I'm going to give this uh, here to Mark. And I want you to take one, two, three, four, however many, you put them on your wrist. Uh, wrap them around your keys, hang them from your visor, because I want this as we start and really kind of set a trajectory of, of, of understanding what it means to grow spiritually. I want us to have some reminders around us. Um, don't snap your spouse with it or your kids. I know, I know. Jerry, I know you know better. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But I want you to take one just as kind of a reminder as we kind of set, set sights. So, but, um, uh, and so, but today we're going to look at uh, spiritual growth as a discipline. And what, is that? what does that look like? Um, so, yeah, take those rubber bands. And there's, there, are some, there are some pretty mean uses of a rubber band. <laughs> All the guys are like, mm-hmm, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, I can, I've got my top 15 right in my back pocket. It's ready, it's ready to go. Yeah, and so I remember that my, my sister taught me, and I, I really apologize in advance if this misfires, Steve, but she taught me how to make like a finger gun like this, and she taught me how to, how to do that, you know, and <laughs> um, more often than not, though, when I was learning, it would backfire and smack me in the nose, so that wasn't really a popular uh, usage of it. I just felt like as I grew older and I had my little brother, I really found that just more really the direct the direct, the old stalwart, or if they're sleeping, you know, one of these, you know, right on the back of the hammy. That's just, that's just good stuff. That's good entertainment right there. Um, you know, now it's all sophisticated. Matter of fact, if you go into our, 
RV in one of the cabinets, they, we have uh, rubber band guns. Uh, yeah, it's just so fun. Yeah, you just love it. You know, when no one's looking, yow! Um, good times, good times. Maybe that's why the kids won't go camping with us anymore. Uh, but there's, there's so many fun uses. Now, this rubber band right here. This, I wish they had these when I was a kid. Uh, I probably have, would have went to juvie at some point had, had I had access to something. I mean, because you can really, I mean, you can really, it's like a compound bow. I mean, you can just really, you can just really pull that back, and it's just amazing. Just love it. Just love it. I gotta get my licks in. You're, this is your last Sunday. I gotta. And we have, we have 24 minutes left, too. Just kidding. Um, no, I, we're going <laughs> to... So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. I'm going to uh, put it up on the screen here in a minute. But I want us to read this. Um, and, but I want us to look at something really quick. And that is, um, again, this is not a comprehensive def- definition. But, but when we look at, at spiritual growth as a discipline, uh, spiritual growth uh, really is the fruit of our ability to communicate with and respond to God. Isn't that spiritual growth if you just really distill it down? Our ability to communicate with God and then respond to him. Uh, because if, if this communication with God breaks down, our spiritual growth gets stunted. It really does. And so it's, it's one of the challenges that believers are, are facing in the text today. And so I want us to read along. It's just a little portion, but I, you know, today, later on this week, if you want to <clears throat> look at, have a greater look at it, you can kind of just start reading uh, from, from chapter 1, uh, Hebrews, and just go all the way through. It's a pretty short book, but it'll kind of give you a little bit better context. But for today's sake, uh, we're going to just read out of chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. It says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that's a pretty loaded uh, portion of scripture and there's a lot going on behind the scenes with with these early believers who have converted from Judaism and now to Christianity and the dynamic here is just really interesting but their main issue is that there was a communication breakdown essentially culturally speaking uh, and these Christians had become what the Bible says and what the original language uh, dubs as dull learners which I'm pretty sure I've seen that on a report card when I was young at some point. That Paul is a dull learner. Uh, it talks about being dull in understanding, slow to believe, and having kind of a bad memory. So I mean, you learn something, you read something, and, and honestly, as I look at that as a learner, I've really spent a lot of my life feeling just like this. So I can relate. To be dull in understanding, slow to believe, uh, and have a poor memory. But verse 11 uh, there is, if you go into the original uh, language, you you see this word called notros. And it's an interesting word. It's it's the word that they use for dull. It's what dull learners, they become dull learners. 
uh, it's only used twice in the Bible, both times in Hebrews. And both times, I mean, like almost back to back. Uh, once here in verse five, or chapter 5 and, and again in, in chapter 6. We'll, we'll see that again here just, just shortly. But it, it means, literally, it means slow, sluggish, dull. And if you go in, if you keep digging into the original language, I don't mean to be offensive when I say this, but it literally means and figuratively means to be stupid. So it's a really strong word. It's a really strong word. If you're a teacher, correct me if I'm wrong, Lindsay, but you use that kind of word today, you're fired. <laughs> it's just, you're, it's not good. But he uses this word to literally and figuratively mean that, that they're being stupid. So instead of growing in humility as they aged in their faith, which, it, which is really the, the progress that we all are supposed to go through, they grew prideful. They grew entitled. Uh, they, they started leaning back on their old traditions of, of their ancient Judaism. And uh, they started setting the, kind of resetting the old benchmarks of religiousness. There was definitely a comprehensive communication breakdown that was taking place and they, they essentially were, I mean, if we really break it down, they were spiritually nutritional babies. But they were grown people that were, like the Bible says, you should be teachers now, but you're not. And so uh, regardless of how many uh, traditions that they observed, no matter how much information that they were able to absorb and, and recant, they still needed what the Bible says is milk. They still needed milk. But here's the interesting, here's the other facet of the breakdown of communication. They thought they were the gatekeepers of the meat and potatoes of the gospel, of the deeper things. And they were oblivious that they, were, they still had not graduated beyond formula. They still not had graduated beyond strained carrots and peas, the baby food. They just, they hadn't. And that was their challenge. That's what's going on here. But, but let's fast forward to us today in our culture. What is, if that was their issue, what is our challenge if, if there is ever a breakdown of communication with their spiritual growth? I'll tell you what it is. It's exactly the same thing. It truly is the same thing for us today, just more in contemporary terms. Because if there was a breakdown of communication within our spiritual growth and our understanding of what it means to grow in the Lord then we run the risk of becoming detached from God's mission, which we see that they, they had done. We run the risk of their setting in in our midst a lack of urgency for serving and reaching people. We see that here. And contemporarily, we also run the risk of living a discouraged, negative, bitter, and frankly, a mean existence as Christians. As a church, just like, just like the people in Hebrews. There's a term that I learned early on in ministry. And I, 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 mean, I grew up on a ranch. I never knew there was such a thing. Matter of fact, when someone said this term, I had to actually do some research because I'd never heard of such a thing. I did not know. I've never experienced sheep biting. I've felt a horse bite me. Ouch. That's significant. I felt snakes, I felt uh, uh, chickens peck, all kinds of things, been bitten by dogs, never knew that sheep bite. But in, in the context of this, we see, if you, if you open up, there's this expanse 
of Revelation here in Hebrews, and you see the body of Christ as it was there, that when there was this breakdown of communication, they had become, in terms of sheep, some of them were biting sheep. They bit. There's a, a professor in the, in the Midwest, he's, a pres, or, and he's also president of a seminary. He, he did a study uh, because he kept running into people, both grown-ups and college students, <clears throat> that kept citing their heightened awareness about how mean church people are. And so he did this study. And his findings were interesting, and I feel like they're pretty unflinching. Um, and so the first thing that he learned was that uh, mean church people, they're just having, they're people that just have a bad day, which is true, isn't it? I mean, people just, I mean, we're allowed to have a, a mulligan every once in a while. We, we, we just have a bad day. And so that will motivate us to unintentionally kind of be mean. Uh, but, but there's also the, the presence of maybe non-believers who just haven't, just maybe they were raised differently, but they didn't know. Maybe they're just still kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, which as it should be. But that was just another honest look. It was like, well, not everyone's a Christian there, and they're just still kind of just figuring, you know, life out. Some are undiscipled Christians, which I've seen that. I think we've probably all seen that. The other one is that, that people carry heavy burdens that we never see. We just, we just don't know. I'll never forget in junior high, there was this very large, portly kid named Coy, and, and, and he he, his pants never fit. I mean, mine were, had patches. I mean, I was just, I was a ball of insecurity, and that's why I was, I tended to be mean to Coy at times. And I'll never forget the day in band when I was making fun of his, his pants were almost like man They were so high. And they were the, they were the brown um, polyester uh, kind, huskies. <laughs> Anyone remember husky jeans? Mm, bad memories, bad memories. Um, but I'll never forget, I mean, Coy, and it was right around Christmas time, and Coy had never done this. And all the years I'd grown up in grade school, going, Coy came uncorked. He blew a gasket. Coy was a big kid, too. Everyone thought he was just a big, dumb oaf. Coy was strong. How did I know? He had superhuman strength because he lifted me up and back over and catapulted me over four rows of chairs. Yeah, yeah, you know the old uh, asbestos type chairs, you know that he had back in the back in the uh, the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, I was humbled that day. I was humbled. I didn't I didn't mess with Koi anymore. Um, but you just never know. And so some people are just carrying these really heavy burdens. And I never forget the teacher who took the time to pull me aside and just say say that very same thing. You just never know what people are carrying. And I'm not going to tell you, but I just know that Koi's dealing with a lot at home, and it's Christmas time. I never forgot that. I never forgot that seventh grade band teacher. I never forget that moment. Some of the other reasons that there are mean people in the church is that they're, they've been uh, given authority way too soon. Which I've, seen that, I've seen that happen. Uh, the other reason is uh, they're living in sin and they're kind of masking it. So that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of resources for us to kind of hide certain elements of our life. And sometimes we can, we can, we can bite. Uh, some people just straight up have anger issues. And, and the other reason is that uh, church allows them to be mean, which basically is a roundabout way of saying that they've never been held accountable, they've not been pastored, there's a vacuum of leadership there, and not taking um, moments uh, to be teaching moments. And so there's this, the, the modern version of this ancient issue is, is, let me frame it a little differently, if you've maybe even heard some of these, some of these phrases before, uh, before we get kind of through the rationale and, you know, what do we, what do, we do if this, is, if this is a reality for, for some. But have you ever heard one of these statements? 
I've served for so long. Now it's time. I'm going to step back and let other people do some work for a while. I'm going to let other people serve. I've heard that so many times over the years. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Uh, another thing that I've heard is, I can't tell you the last time I was challenged by so-and-so's messages. Yeah, I know who you are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. But I've heard that. I've heard that uh, uh, for years and years and years. I developed early on this, I don't know, this um, attitude of almost chivalry uh, uh, for my, pa- my senior pastors because I would notice people would come to me and try and shoot fiery darts and solicit my support. And, oh, my gosh, can, can, can you believe Pastor Mike spent 65 minutes on one verse? I'm telling you, I need Novocaine to come to this church. And just looking for a response for me and, and looking for me to, to, to have some approval. And I can't believe so. And so I just, I'm so tired of this dribble. Every Sunday we come and we just get fed dribble. And you hear that and just go, oh, that's so terrible. It's terrible. Maybe another one is, I don't know why we don't talk about the deeper things of God. I already know all this stuff. <laughs> Friends, that is that is the probably the most popular phrase in this in this genre uh, that I've personally heard a lot, and it's 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 so it was happening then, it's happening now, it just it just happens. But here's what Paul says in Philippians three one. He says, "I never get tired of telling you these things. I never get tired of telling you these things. I love that. Why? He says because I do it to safeguard your faith." Mm. Love it. Love that response. Something tells me that at some point in time, probably quite a few times, somebody came up to Paul and said, so tired of milk and toast. We need meat and potatoes. Give us the deeper things, Apostle Paul. I can, I can hear it. I can hear it now. Um. So we've heard these phrases, and, and I would say that in, in, the, in the genre of, of, the, of the attitude, the genre of the, of the breakdown of communication in someone's faith, I would say more so that these folks maybe are just, they're, they're not necessarily un, underfed, but they're just really, really, really insecure. I, I would suppose that, that they were insecure people because, I mean, look at, look at some of the historicity of insecurity. We go back to... Uh, Moses, for instance, in, in Exodus, Exodus 3.1. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He's insecure. We, we see it carried over in, in 4 verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. There. They're one of the most, one of the mightiest men in the Bible was one of the most insecure men in the Bible, the most insecure people. I hope we hear that this morning. Um, and there, there's deep insecurity. Um, and, and insecurity tends to motivate destructive words and, and actions, don't they? They just, they just tend to do. Um, and, and in the midst of people who are otherwise just amazingly lovely, beautiful people, but in a moment, a little bit of ugliness surfaces. A biting word, bam. And, and you're left thinking, what just happened? Who is that person? I don't, I don't know who that person is. And maybe that's happened to us. Like I've had some of those epiphanies over the years, like looking in the mirror, like, who, 
who was that back there? Because, pal, that's not you. But there's, there's something in here that doesn't really feel, doesn't really seem right. Lord, scrub my motives right now. We have, we have, those, we have those moments. And insecurity, we can have insecurity about the past, about our upbringing. We can have insecurity about our past failures, and we don't want to, to fail again. Uh, or the present, you know, because we know what kind of lurks beneath the surface that no one else knows about who, who we are, you know. They just, they just don't, but we do. We're, we're hyper aware. We're hoping no one gets close enough to us where they see the same things that we see in ourselves. Uh, or maybe there's just this, this kind of characteristic on, you know, lack of faith. But maybe there's just been this, this transaction of from that initial wonder and trust that Christ's work was complete, like the people that we see here in Hebrews, and they started manufacturing the need and necessity for more effort, that that's going to make me more complete. And that is what happens when we, when we start to allow, we start to trade the lie uh, for truth, the, the, the lie that we're really, 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 I mean really, even in light of that, the cross, we're still really not that secure. I mean, surely there's something that I could really add to my salvation. There's something that I could probably add to uh, my rightness. And there's all these things. And, but at the end of the day, insecurity is one of those pieces that really tend to stall our faith. I mean, that's what our, friend, our ancient friends were, were dealing with. But I'd suggest one of, the, one of the main things that they were dealing with was this reoccurring surfacing of insecurity in them as believers. Uh, and it's so easy to have happen. They started to place their hope and their trust you know, initially in their security in Christ, but then they started tr- making little trade-offs here and there to where they found themselves to where, to where Paul you know, approaches them and just says, you should be teachers at this point, but you, you've never graduated beyond milk and toast and cereal. How do we know? I mean, you know the stuff and you can spout it out, but you're not living it. And that's how we know. And he comes straight and says, you, you're being dull. Stop being dull. It's such, a, it's such a hard word, but we know that just like Christ, Paul's heart isn't just to end it there with some you know, overarching indictment over their life. First um, Corinthians 2.5 says that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And that's really the crux of our daily life, that, that our life would not be defined by our works or our wisdom, but on God's power. What God can do. What God would do. Because we read that all through, through the word. There's this communication breakdown in there. Insecurity in Christ created this spiritual communication breakdown that dulled their faith and it halted their growth. So here's a question for us. Here's a question for you. Have you ever, found yourself in such a place in your faith? Maybe even today. And how do we overcome the dulling sense of our insecurities? How do we grow again? Or maybe even for the first time. I mean, maybe even for the first time, really. I would suggest that we can grow spiritually if we just embrace a couple, couple disciplines. But they're foundational. And, but they're, these are, but, but the, I have found that the foundational Disciplines are the ones that we tend to, to trade because once we get really good at them, um, we stop doing them and we move on to something better, move on to something more entertaining, and, and, and we compromise our foundation. 
And so I'd suggest that one of the, one of the disciplines that's a, d- a daily discipline that we need to embrace to grow spiritually as we start this new, this new look at what it means to, to grow, I would say this one, anchor yourself to hope. I know that seems like milk. Everything today is going to seem like milk. But don't disparage it because there is such beauty. There is such power. There is such reconciliation. There is so much rightening about who and where we're at today if we would just ingest it, really maybe even for the first time. Uh, but to anchor yourself to hope. In other words, don't lose hope. Don't remain discouraged if you are sitting here discouraged in your faith walk. Don't allow yourself to remain stalled. And, and one of the things that really stalls us is we, we convince ourselves that there is no hope. There is no hope for me. It's again, it's that dynamic of trading a truth for a lie. And when we look in the mirror, we tend to look at ourselves and just say, yeah, there's no hope for you, pal. But there's always hope. But to realign our hope from you to him. That's the realignment. That's the anchoring. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. There's no insecurity in that. There's no insecurity in that picture. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Um, Stifling discouragement will recede when we shift our hope from ourselves to God. Did you hear that? Stifling discouragement will recede when we reconnect and we re-anchor ourselves to the hope uh, in God. Um, Hebrews 6, I want to read that uh, over you. It won't be on the screen. Uh, If you want to write it down, you can. Hebrews 6, 17 through 20 gives us a great picture. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And he's a high priest forever and ever. I love that piece. I love that. Don't lose hope. Lean into the hope of Jesus. Here's a second and last discipline, and that's develop daily disciplines. I know that sounds terribly repetitive, but there are certain daily disciplines that are just so healthy for us that are not only just healthy, but they're scriptural. And that was one thing that, that, the, that the author's trying to get these people back to. Spiritual growth comes from this intentional development of some critical areas in our lives. So we need to be followers of Christ uh, that do a few things. One, that we follow that we follow, which basically connotates a dependence on God. Uh, it, it states a, uh, it's kind of the opposite of, yeah, I don't need you. I've got this pretty well taken care of, much like my attitude when I was about 18. I, I got this. I got this. And it takes us from that, and when we're really truly following Christ, we have this dependence and we have this reality of our reliance on him. Like, I know I need you. I need you today. Um, we need, to f- we need to be followers that learn, which connotates that we need to be humble. We need to be teachable. In other words, it transforms us. It keeps us from ever being those people that spout such things like, I've already heard this before. As opposed to, wow, I wonder, I wonder what you have for me in this today, God. Huh. There's got to be a reason this keeps coming. There's got to be a reason that you just keep... You keep, you, keep moving my, you keep moving my head 
in this one direction. You keep reminding me, there's got to be a reason. What is it? Holy Spirit, would you, would you reveal? Those are two completely different people. And those are two people, different people, who are on a different, very different trajectory of growth, spiritual growth. Uh, we need to be followers of Christ that love. In other words, we need to be followers of Christ that, that serve. We serve. It's all about others. It's about others. It's so easy to turn the focus on ourselves. We grow the most when we turn the focus on others. We see that time after time, cover to cover in the Bible. So growing followers of Christ, they, they follow, they learn, they love. Those are, those are the three tenets. Those are the three disciplines for us uh, that, that we need to cultivate every day. Lord, would I be a follower of you? Would I truly depend on you? Would I, would I be a learner? Would you show me something new today either about myself your word, your character. Just show me something new, God. And give me somebody to serve. Give me somebody to love today. Love it. To live a life that is quite believable and magnetically invitational. That's, that's what we're looking for. That we would live a life that is, that is authentic, it's totally believable, and is so magnetic. It's just by, our, just by the nature of just how and who we are people start asking, so tell me a little bit about this, because you're a little bit different. You're a little bit peculiar. You're different than, than the average person I run into. Uh, what's going on in your life? I, I love those questions. I was getting my hair cut uh, just recently down in the Hawthorne uh, district where I get my uh, hair cut, one of those weird, crazy places, but I love going to weird, crazy places because it puts me in, in, uh, in line with other people like myself that are just kind of weird and crazy. And, um, and sure enough, we just I mean, we weren't in 30 seconds into the chair, and he says, uh, so what do you do? I love that question. I love it. So here's Mr. Tatted from the East Coast, hardcore dude, uh, so many piercings they couldn't even count. And uh, he says, so what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. He's, he stopped. He's like, really? Like, in my chair. He almost looked at me like, dude, what are you thinking? What are, what are, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be at, like a barber shop? I could, I, he didn't say that. I could just see it. I could just see it. I could just imagine it. And he said, so you're, so you're a Christian. And I said, yeah. He said, well, tell me about your, like, what kind of Christian? And so we, he was asking these questions. What kind of church? And what does that mean? And I really don't believe in that stuff. But I really, this guy, I've never seen someone so hungry for understanding. But someone who put so many great walls up around him. He just said, now, now I'm not really asking for me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not into this. Just so you know, but but he like stopped cutting my hair and he looked in the mirror, which is weird because wouldn't you just turn around and just like look at the person? But that's just what they do. So they stare in the mirror, right? So you're having this weird conversation in the mirror, and, and he's you know Edward Scissorhandsing, and he's asking me all these questions about my faith and in our church and denomination. I really don't believe in denominations. I told him I don't either. He's like, wait a minute, <laughs> didn't you just say you belong to one? You serve in one? I said, yeah, well, it's more of a it's more of a network of churches. I mean, yeah, it's. It's a denomination, but it's quasi. And he was asking all these crazy questions. And after the haircut, he stood back and he said, you know, I've thought about um, attending a church. But, I, you know, I mean, look at me. I mean, what, what church do I go to? I said, today's your lucky friend. My, is it, today's your lucky day, my friend. I've got just the church for you. He said, what do you mean? I said, my, my friend Greg pastors Portland Foursquare, which is about six blocks from here. You would love to meet Greg. 
uh, because I said, matter of fact, Greg would, I told him this. I said, I don't mean to offend you. I mean, because I know I look a little bit Opie Cunningham-ish to you guys. I get it. Uh, but you guys cut a good, just a real solid head of hair. You know, way to go. <laughs> but but Greg would, you would think he was, you know, one of the barbers here. You know, but he is an on-fire believer. He's a four-score pastor. And I said, and I said, and I said, here's my card. And here's and so I gave him all this information about how to connect. And it was just one of these weird things where I just really went in for about a 30-minute haircut. You just never know how God's going to use you. You just never know. But I, I, I believe this, friends. It's not random. I, be, I believe it's on purpose. Now, I could, have, I could have had a different character that day. I had a lot on my mind. I was really looking forward to a relaxing haircut where I could just turn stuff off. And God, in his great and divine sense of humor, is like, no, I'm going to turn stuff on. I'm going to, I'm going to open the hose, pal. Are you ready? I'm going to use you. And, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, it, maybe it equates to something in the guy's life. But um, he seemed to genuinely enjoy our conversation. And... Siri, how long will Paul speak today? <laughs> well, Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, maybe from Siri, and hearing by the word of God. And so it's, it's really, we, we, we need to really immerse ourselves in the word and be lovers of others. And I just want to conclude today by just saying, but my... My prayer and my vision and my hope, and I really and I really hope and I pray that it is God's uh, vision, His prayer, His dream, and I'm just I'm just seeing images of it. Is that we would be this collection of Christ followers who just gather and live around God's Word, that we're animated by His Holy Spirit, um, that that we would be this faith family that lives on mission, that we're that we would be living and loving like Jesus somehow, even in the midst of our fallibility and our insecurities. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that just be truly just be way cool to live life like that? And I'm not saying that we're not, but I also know that there's, there's, there's something about our ebbs and flows of spiritual growth that will take us into different seasons. And so I just, you know, if, if we could just kind of uh, move into a, an attitude and a posture of prayer, I just want us to respond. I want you to respond to God and how, how you would see fit. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Because the spiritual growth thing, it's going to require growth on everyone's part. If we were to be a church, if we were to be a gathering of people like what we just described, it's going to require everybody. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, uh, how much you know. It always requires us to constantly be growing, constantly like a rubber band, just be expanding, being constantly stretched. We should never come to a point in our life where we feel we don't feel the elasticity of God's hand in our life where he's always just kind of stretching and pushing and prodding a little bit, not to pick on us, but because he loves us and he loves the people around us that we should be touching. We should be reaching. He loves us all. There should not be a coasting sesh in our life. Ephesians 4, I want to leave you with this. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching or by clever cunning of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, who is the head. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Lord, my prayer is that if there's anybody who's returning to you this morning, Jesus, would they have the courage and the bravery to actually make that step and just say, yeah, I know I've been, I've been a little distant. I've, there's been a breakdown of communication, but I, I, wanna, I want that to stop. And Lord, I just, I, I break that negative, that destructive pattern, and I want to reestablish that pipeline of trust and reliance on you. I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. I want to love like you love. To restore the right spirit in you, Jesus. Maybe today's the first day. Maybe today's the day that you just say, I have always chalked this up as a bunch of fooey. But there's something so real within me right now that's just prodding me just to say, Jesus, I say yes to you. I want you to be my friend. I want faith like it's been described today. I want, I want to anchor my life to your hope for the first time in my life, really, Jesus. I, I, I just, I, I want, I want, I want us to be friends. I want to know you, friend. You make that statement, whether you speak it out loud or it's just internal. God is going to be so good and faithful just to be your friend, to be your savior. You say, Lord, forgive me, fill me, restore me, resurrect my life. Maybe for the first time, God, just give me true life and love. Maybe maybe Jesus has revealed to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has somehow put a face or interactions, brought them to the frontal lobe of your memory where maybe you have in an unintentionally, or maybe it was intentionally, you bit somebody. You had a moment where you were a biting sheep. And it would be incumbent on us right now, just in the following hours and days to respond and follow up in great humility and just repent and, and, and make that relationship right or that interaction right. Say, yeah, I'm sorry. You've never said anything about it. You swallowed hard. You took it. But man, I was a real stinker. Would you forgive me? Would you? Thank you. I love you. Lord, would we live life like that? Because that's how you live life with us. That's how you call us to live life with you. We love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your hope that you give us. In Jesus' strong name, amen.